Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. What up, everybody? Welcome into the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross here with you alongside Jack McKenzie. And the man, the myth, the legend himself, J.D. Piquel, live from Nashville. What's good, man? How are you? I'm good, man. I appreciate you having me on. The studio looks great. Uh, excited to talk some ball, man. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, man, we're looking forward to this. We, uh, we've we been wanting to get somebody on for a long time, and we were like, you know what? J.D. kick-started this whole thing. It's only right to bring him back in and christen this thing, but – it's good to have you, man. And I know you've been really busy. You've been doing your thing out there in Nashville. but yeah, keeping the party rolling. Yeah, keeping that party rolling. So how, how's everything over at On3? Bro, it's been great. It's been great. On3's been rolling somewhere north of 15 months, 16 months. But, dude, it's it's been a blast. Like, I mean, y'all know being able to talk ball for a living and cover this beautiful sport. Like it's, it's a dream come true. So we're, we're just riding it out, man. And, and, uh, having, having a blast doing it all. So it's, it's been, uh, it's been awesome. That's what's up. Uh, so I want to start with, well, I guess we're going to get into sleepers, but I guess if you look back at this past season, TCU was probably a sleeper, right? Now I don't think anybody expected them to even be in the big 12 championship, much less the CFP and playing for the natty, but you had an opportunity to go out there. What was that experience like other than the game being a disaster? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, going back to TCU, like they were beyond like they were like NyQuil, like cryogenic captain America freeze <laughs> most asleep you could be, but dude, it, it was, it was awesome, man. I think pregame, being able to see TCU and Georgia close, like you kind of got a feel of, huh, those, those Georgia guys, they, uh, they're all built like action figures and TCU's got some guys now too. But I mean, the team speed of Georgia y'all saw was just the, the difference maker, but be, being able to be around it and to um, be up close and personal and cover it, uh, an event like that. I mean, that was phenomenal, man. Something that, uh, you know, can never take for granted. So it, it was awesome. It was, it was very, very cool. And uh, it was cool too to just see other people in media that you respect. Like, you know, you're walking around and Kirk Herbstreit's at media day and you're like, oh, that's cool. Like yeah. stuff like that, yeah. where it's just, uh, uh, you know, you kind of kind of take a second, but uh, no, it was, it was awesome. Think you'll be back next year? Think so, man. Yeah, I think that's, that's the plan as it stands right now. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That's that. That's the hope. But I mean, it all started in in this uh, in this studio, man. And the, I mean, that was where where we were were going to work every day. And I mean, you Armstrong and Garrett had, that was was a part of it as well. I mean, it's awesome. Very very cool to to see where the channel is now too. How I mean, you all been crushing it and carrying the whole operation. Yeah, appreciate that, man. So uh, if you if you think you're going to be back next year, let let's get into it. Uh, who do you think is maybe a sleeper to possibly be there at the end of the year? You know, a team that I think Vegas has taken notice of, Notre Dame just added Sam Hartman mm -hmm. and a guy who's really established. He's he's nearing like Stetson Bennett territory in terms of like the old school jokes you can make about him. Um, but Notre Dame last year 
they were pretty one-dimensional, like played really good defense, allowed like 23 points a game. They ran the football really effectively. They bring that whole stable back. And they won nine games with like a backup quarterback most of the year. And so now adding another element to where they can push the ball downfield and have a guy who's proven like Sam Hartman, he's still got to win the job. But I think Notre Dame is a really interesting team to watch uh, as we go forward with this whole college football playoff discussion. Also, no conference championship, which like does it hurt them? Does it help them? Probably doesn't help you if you have one loss. Like that's maybe the concern. But I'm really keeping a, a close eye on Notre Dame going into next year. So when you look at their schedule, I mean, obviously I think they should probably start off 4-0. and I mean, North Carolina State can be tricky. But heading into that Ohio State game, how much, how much heat is going to be behind that? And what are you going to look for right now heading into that matchup? Oh, it's going to be fun, man. That's, that's going to be an absolute blast. It'll be in South Bend, which I'm sure the good folks in Notre Dame will be happy for. Uh, who's playing quarterback for Ohio State? Like, that's, I think, the, the real question yeah. that we're all going to watch this offseason. Uh, to be fair, they have a, a pretty luxurious question mark, as we like to say. They got <laughs> Devin Brown, who's a five-star. He's like number one player in the 2022 class for us here at On3. Kyle McCord was a guy they took actually over J.J. McCarthy in that recruiting cycle. So, I mean, they've got a lot of talent. There's, there's a lot under the hood there. But, I mean, there is a ton of pressure on Ohio State this year, y'all. Not like hot seat pressure, but pressure to – perform at the level that they're expecting in Columbus and for good reason. Like, I think you should, and we're getting off topic on the matchup here. I apologize. But like, if you're Ohio state and you're an Ohio state fan, the expectations are so high because we expect you to play to the level that like a you're recruiting at and B the level that we support you at resources. So those two things are up there with like Georgia and Alabama. So now we got to beat Michigan. Who's not even putting that much on the table that we are. So, uh, but for that matchup, man, it should be, uh, very, very interesting to see where Notre Dame is at that point in the year and, and how quickly they get it going uh, with Sam Hartman. Yeah, and just three weeks later is the matchup I probably find the most interesting with uh, with USC. Could that possibly yes. be an elimination game between Notre Dame and the Pac-12 as a whole? Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially whatever USC. I don't know who USC plays going into that matchup. I know it's a little bit earlier in the year than it would be if it were rivalry weekend or whatever it may be. Um, but no, that's that's going to be huge um, for USC. I mean, they on paper don't have what Notre Dame does well. Like Notre Dame kind of that blue collar grinded out and, and Caleb Williams was good enough last to where like, it just didn't matter. Like he just had one of those days where you're oh, like, yeah. all right, Caleb Williams is, is playing road to glory mode. <laughs> We're going to just have to take this L, but it'll be in South Bend. Um, Notre Dame will have a little bit more firepower, you hope, offensively. But no, I 100% believe that could be an early elimination game with this four-team format. So it'll be a lot of fun to watch that one. But yeah, absolutely could be because the Pac-12 has got to put somebody in here soon, man. I would I would love that for the West Coast. I think for me, when I'm looking at this, one of my sleepers, is, and I've been real high on it, is Duke. I was really impressed with the way Duke rounded out their season. And when you look, Notre Dame is going to have to face Duke following that Ohio State matchup. How important is that? Because that's not – I mean, we see all the time where you have those games where you kind of overlook somebody. You can't overlook this Duke team, man. Letdown spot, right? Little little, uh, little letdown special. And uh, Pete Thamel said this on the College Game Day podcast after the national championship game, and I 100% agree with it. It's, it's so tricky to speak in absolutes with college football because we got the variance of, like, 18 to 22-year-olds. Mm -hmm. Like, on paper, yeah, Notre Dame should probably beat Duke, but – 
does Notre Dame have their folks in the right place in, you know, their second year under a new head coach and like just so much that goes into it to where anybody can beat anybody on any Saturday. So yeah, Duke is a, is a fun team just with, with how physical they've been and the progression they've made under that coach. Like that would be a, a matchup that especially after Ohio state, I mean, you, you cannot sleepwalk in that one at all. Yeah. And uh, I think lastly, because there, there are plenty of good games on this Notre Dame schedule. I'm I'm looking at Clemson there towards the end. Could Clemson yeah. be putting together another great season? I know that they've got a new OC, they've got a new quarterback, but that that at the end of the day could be that make or break game, right? And Clemson fans probably feel like they upgraded at both. Like like not to knock DJU, not to knock uh, Brandon Streeter, but like they probably feel like they're now going to be in a place where, okay, now the offense will really, really get to humming. And I think DJU made a lot of strides last year. Like I'm actually probably a little bit higher on DJU than, than maybe Joe Public is. Uh, but with how explosive they could be offensively um, with this new set of coordinator and quarterback, I, I think they probably feel a little bit, a little bit better about that. But no, that, that'll be a huge matchup. And I mean, you're talking about elimination games, looking here at Clemson's schedule, like, they're going to play Florida State. They're going to play South Carolina after they play Notre Dame. So, I mean, that if, if you're Clemson, you can't afford to slip up um, at some point. I mean, I guess we're still figuring out the dates of these games. But, I mean, that, that's going to be a game in November where you better bring it because you got South Carolina waiting for you there at the very end of the year, and, and you better you better not have an extra loss in the schedule. I want So, sticking with this, I want to kind of transition out of this. So, with Clemson, I feel like there's been a lot of – People looking at them like maybe Dabo's lost it. I know I've, I've kind of looked at it. I feel like he doesn't really enjoy recruiting the way some coaches do, per se. But you bring over Garrett Riley. Uh, you bring Jeff Scott back on, which I think is going to be a, a valuable asset to pair with Riley for because knowing, I guess, really because he knows Dabo in and out so he can help Riley along with that. But is this a season where you can't – like like I feel like Florida State is there for the taking. Like this is their only chance because – is Clemson starting to rise? And what does this do? How long is it going to be before we see Clemson be Clemson again? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you you, you place your bet on Cade Klubnik, right? Like that's oh, yeah. the quarterback that, okay, you had one five-star quarterback and you could say that you didn't get what you thought you would. To me, I, I look at the receiver room. Like I think they need some more guys like that freshman Antonio Williams who can stretch the field because I don't see that like dynamic playmaker that they've had of recent history. Um and one thing I'm also going to keep an eye on is this post spring portal wave that's going to happen, like the the May 1st through 15th, where is Dabo Sweeney going to maybe bend a little bit and go in and get maybe one or two guys that could help him? Uh, I'd be a little bit surprised if that were the case, but we've seen him variate a little bit from his his principles, if that makes sense. Like he hired two internal hires and, and felt really good about that and offended them, and then we saw him eventually go and hire somebody else. Do we see the same sort of trend as we get into this portal cycle um but no I, I absolutely agree i think this is the year where you have the quarterback you've got the flashy oc like okay let's let's do something now because florida state's going to be a, a force um who knows how long miami stays down under crystal ball like there, there's some teams now that are starting to to crowd the acc so i think clemson's got to stake their claim yeah i, I absolutely agree and uh kind of touching on that uh that spring portal cycle um who are some of the teams that you feel like have won this winter portal cycle and who are some that you may be looking at taking a step forward in that regard into the spring? Yeah, man. I think, I mean, Colorado has just been going after the portal like it's been going out yeah, of style. And, McClain. 
I mean, they've been, they've been getting after it. They've been getting after it. And if, if talent acquisition is the name of the game, Deion Sanders is like, all right, let's bring in the Louis luggage. And some of that's from Jackson State and getting Travis Hunter was huge. But mm-hmm. I mean, what they've done to kind of tear out the old foundation, the 111 foundation of their roster and go get just a volume overhaul. I think they're somewhere around 24, 25 transfers. Like they've been going at it. Um, UCLA has done a lot of really good things in the portal. Uh, I've been encouraged by USC. They've been, they've been pretty active in the portal. And I think the way they've gone about it, because I think everybody and their mother knows they, they got to get tougher, whether it's the defensive line, the offensive line, like there's room for improvement in the trenches for USC. And you got one more year of Caleb Williams. So I think Colorado and USC, I've, I've been really pleased with and excited to see the, the dividends that they can make. Also, Auburn's been crushing it. So there, there's a lot of teams that I think have needed to and been self-aware and, and done a good job. Is, is the transfer portal almost helping the Pac-12 kickstart their jump back into competition with these other conferences? I think it could. I think you look at schools like USC that have like the NIL opportunities and I mean, who doesn't want to go play in that fun offense? And, and I think also Lincoln Riley's really prioritized the portal. Like he got there and was like, okay, we went four and eight. If I don't change it, like there, there's not a, a ton more room to grow here. Like we've got some talent and maybe we can make a six wins to seven wins, but he just tore out the foundation, brought in his own guys. And um, obviously we saw the dividends of that. So, you know, I don't know. I'm also just going and playing on the West coast is, is hard to imagine. That's not attractive to, Someone, if you've been living in Big Ten country the last four years, last three years, like, yeah, I might go try out L.A. I might go see how, oh, yeah. how yeah. 70 and, and, and sunny feels in December. So yeah, trade the snowy pine I, I think it's a fair argument trees. for sure. I think what when you, you said trade the snowy pine trees for palm trees. Oh, you can't Not a bad that. trade, man. Not a bad trade. I think one player, J.D., when you look at the portal, who who's garnered a lot of attention because of his lack of maybe attention is is Spencer Sanders. And I'm not really high on Spencer Sanders. I, I know a lot of people really are. I just think there's too much bad and not enough good as a whole when you look at him. But he finds his landing spot at Ole Miss. What does this do? How do you see him fitting into the system? And what is this? Is this a situation where we're probably going to see Jackson Dart hit the portal here pretty soon? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the fact that he committed, I believe, after the portal window had closed. So Jackson Dart was kind of like, if he, if he wanted to transfer, he couldn't to that point. Um yeah, I think we'll see him and Jackson Dart just go at it in spring. And I do believe that if it's not Jackson Dart, there's a pretty reasonable likelihood to assume he'd go to the portal. But in terms of the fit, like just, just on paper, if other quarterbacks didn't exist in that quarterback room, uh, the kind of the RPO scheme that Kippen likes to utilize and some of the talent they have around him, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like to not to knock Spencer Sanders, but like his best attribute is his athleticism and what he does running the football and I mean, Ole Miss ran the football about as much as the academies did last year. So um, to have the other great players around him, I think could could complement his his skill set. Um, I know Auburn was in the mix. Uh, I'm confused on what happened with Oklahoma State. Yeah, do, do y'all know what happened over there with Oklahoma State? Because I thought there was something I heard. And this could be true. This could not be true. I thought it was win the portal, didn't have the bites that he wanted, and thought about going to Oklahoma State. Was 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 there any truth to that? Do y'all know what's going on? And Oklahoma State was like, hey, sorry. You know, you've you've gone. What what's the the deal with that? Do y'all know? So uh, Robert Allen, the sideline reporter for the Pokes, was on with the uh, Smokey and Craig and Paul at three sixty five Sports in the afternoon. I think it was like two weeks ago, and that was what he was saying. He said that Spencer entered the portal. There was conversation about uh, where he was at, and when he decided to come back, or the the idea was, Gundy told him that's fine, but I would like for you to finish this right, and I want you to play in the bowl game, and that was the understanding going into that week. And 
as uh, time progressed, Spencer hit, uh, decided that he was going to hit the portal. He was going to skip the bowl game. So when he decided that, okay, I want to come back to Oklahoma State, it was about halfway through the week of preparation leading in, and Gundy was like, no, we're not doing this. Now, that's one person's perspective who is literally inside the program, but I'm not going to – I don't know if that's 100% correct, but that's what we were told. Yeah, I mean, hey, when, when there's smoke, there's fire. Absolutely. And to me, there's something to be said for – maybe understanding your market value and the, the whole Ole Miss thing is fascinating. That only takes one team, only takes one situation. I like the fit, but maybe something to be said for, Hey, not everybody was fighting over Spencer Sanders in the portal. So I don't right. know. We'll see, yeah. but I'm excited to watch it go down. It, it deserves a, a Netflix documentary, the whole Ole Miss quarterback situation with Walker Howard and Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders. I mean, he has to hit on this on this season. Like he has to be the starter. He has one year left. So would imagine they told him he'd come in and compete. But I mean, we'll we'll see. It should be a lot of fun. Speaking of Netflix series and thirty for thirties and all that, Jayden I mean, Jaden Rashada, dude. Like, like, like that's the the that ideal storyline right there, y'all. That what? was that was that was first team All American <laughs> transition. Hey, that, we we try. We try to learn from you. So what the hell do you make of this situation, man? Like, what is this? I, I do not know. I think the hope is that this is now a cautionary tale for collectives, athletes, programs alike, like that, hey, there there is, there is such a thing as too much. Uh, I'm also encouraged that the actual figure was reported by different outlets. Like, I know the Athletics said it was, like, around $13 million, Yeah. which, like, th there's NFL players that aren't making $13 million. And so I think you just have a, a situation of, schools and collectives probably flying I don't know if schools is the right verbiage but collectives flying too close to the sun and this bidding war that happened between Miami and Florida and now it's just like hey this is just a, a egg on everybody's face um I think there's something to be said for the opportunity cost if you're Jaden Rashad like like the blame is definitely on the schools like we signed a contract you told me we'd get 13 million you didn't keep up your end of the deal. So now I'm looking elsewhere. I understand that. I think if NIL is like the, the focus, if that's the hope that, Hey, I want to cash in based on my worth and NIL value, that's fine. To my understanding or to, to, to my assumption, you would have to think that it wasn't 13 million or we'll give you nothing. It wasn't like, Hey, surprise, right. no money for you. Like, and also what's the opportunity cost of going to another school? Like if NIL is your hope, are you going to get as much money going to Arizona State, TCU, Washington, the schools that we're talking about now, and is it worth becoming a headline? Like I don't, I don't know if all of that was was thought through to the nth degree, but it's just a bad look for everybody. And now for Florida, for future recruits, if NIL is involved, there's going to have to at best be an explanation for, hey, this is why it didn't happen, this is why it fell through, this is what went wrong, why we didn't pay him, and at worst, now you're just going to miss out on some kids. Like at worst, now you're going to have kids that just say. I don't trust Florida. And and that's unfortunate. I think it could send ripple effects. And I think, like I said, a lot of programs and collectives alike are, are going to learn from this. That was one thing I was thinking, because we know a quarterback who was involved and it's, I guess he's committed to Florida. That's per se. It was Baylor was mm -hmm. in the mix as well. So I was wondering like how that would impact players like him, but that's a great point. But as far as right now with Rashada, what do you think he ends up? I know his dad's from, or went to Arizona state and there's that connection, but where, ultimately where do you see him playing his ball? Yeah, the way I understand it is visited ASU, that went well. I mean, Kenny Dillingham, the head coach there, have a relationship from when he was at Oregon. The visit to TCU that's approaching, I'm really fascinated by. Mm. 
I don't have a, a tremendous feel as to like where he would end up going. My hope for him would be he goes to TCU because at this point, TCU is a little bit more of a stable situation from where I'm looking at. Like, hey, they just, you know, play for a national championship. So need like an offensive-minded coach. You're not going into your first year with the new head coach and a program kind of trying to find its footing as ASU is. Um, that's not to knock ASU. I think Kenny Lillian's going to be great there. But for Jaden Rashada, too, I think getting away from the West Coast could be the difference for him. Like right now you've got, I would imagine your camp around you, which helped sort out the whole NIL situation. And you've been at home for however many years as, you know, obviously playing high school football, like go out, get out of the spotlight, redshirt for a year behind Chandler Morris and just like go to work, dude, just go to work. You don't need to play early, go get around a, a winning culture and just develop personally. And as, as a player. So um, the beautiful thing is it just takes one year for this guy to, to have this whole storyline kind of in his rearview mirror. Like Florida might have to deal with this for a little bit longer, but if Jaden Rashada goes out and just lights it up in 2024 for TCU, we're not even talking about this. We're saying, yeah, that was unfortunate. We all learned a lot, but Jaden Rashada can deal the pill. Like right. that's kind of, I think the, the thing you would hope for him. And um, I would love to see him at TCU. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, on the topic of TCU though, I'd love to hear your thoughts on their offensive coordinator hired. Kendall, ba Kendall Bryant. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I mean there's, there's, there's a lot that comes with it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. A lot that comes with it, especially in the state of Texas. At the end of the day, though, I mean, dude can coach some ball. Like, I mean, if it wasn't TCU, I think it would have been someone else at some point in time. Like somebody else would have hired Kendall Bryles. The script for the movie now just reads uh, with a little bit more spice that it was TCU. Oh, but yeah. Didn't, wasn't. Wasn't he rumored to have like some kind of offer from Mississippi State or do I have that college wrong? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I would imagine there were other people that wanted Kendall Bryles to to coach their offense. So um, from, what, from what I've heard, it was um, someone, I think it was Mississippi State, gave him an offer. He got a pay raise out of Arkansas to stay. And then TCU offered and he tried to like get another raise in the same offseason. And they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> and that that's how that's how it facilitated his move to to TCU. I saw yeah, that on I mean, Twitter. I, I'll I'll go find the source. But no, I love it. I mean, at the end of the day, though, like I can I can coach some ball regardless of of you know all the other stuff that is surrounding his name. I think it's a good get for TCU to be honest with you. So uh, I'll have to step between the white lines and, and coach him up. But um, from an optics perspective, I think it 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 presents some some other storylines, but I, I like the move for TCU, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, the offense racks up yards. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. sticking with the Big 12, I don't think – I think TCU is going to have a hard time, you know, kind of following up, reaching the mountaintop with so many people that they lost off this roster this year. And the Big 12 as a whole, right now, obviously, we're still waiting on a schedule. I know Mac Rhodes, the Baylor AD, has said it's probably going to be in a couple of weeks here at the end of the month. But as a whole, when I think Texas – this is like a make or break season for the Longhorns, in my opinion, because at least for Sark. Yeah, at least for Sark. You, but and then you add AD Mitchell to already a loaded receiving core with Quinn Ewers. And I know Quinn was kind of hit or miss last year, but I think that's more so the expectations from the outside people per se than realizing this is a dude playing his first year of college football. So I think that was kind of slanted. But overall, what are your thoughts on the Longhorns and really the talent that they're going to have around them next season? Yeah, they're going to have some talent. I mean, you bring, what, 10 of 11 starters yeah. back on offense. And last year was kind of the 
ramp up year it felt like for for Quinn Ewers like this will be the year where okay we want to see some ROI like we put in a lot resources wise we've done a lot recruiting wise you got a quarterback who's one of the highest rated recruits of all times in the in the scouting era modern scouting era like all right his second year in the offense like let's do something um I think the the make or break for me is like y'all have to make the big 12 championship game um, do they have to win it? I don't know if I believe that for him to stay the head coach, but I think just seeing something of getting to Jerry world and playing in that game would mean a lot. The reason why I don't think he'll be fired anytime soon, or at least after this year, unless just the wheels fall off and something unforeseen happens is because the 2023 recruiting class yeah. uh, for us here at on three consensus wise is like number three in the country and baked into that is Arch Manning. Of course. And if Steve Sarkeesian were to be fired or go somewhere else, to me, that jeopardizes someone that you're really excited about and, could, and thinks could could turn the tides of your program in Arch Manning. So um, that's a whole other conversation, I suppose. But, I mean, with people committing to people and Steve Sarkeesian being the person that Arch Manning committed to, you want to hold that, that card as long as you can until it's like, hey, man, it's not working. It's evident to everybody we're all on the same page, you know, let's, let's, let's look for someone else. But yeah, I mean, making the big 12 title game, you're absolutely right. Like they have to have something substantial to, to put forth for all of their, their efforts on the recruiting trail and NIL and resources. Like they have to have something to show for it. Now I think it's hundred percent true. Uh, so then I guess maybe what's on the flip side of that, like how, how much can they struggle this year before you start having those hot seat questions asked? Yeah. I mean, I think if they were to miss a bowl game, or if they're, they're <laughs> that in like that six bad. win range, like if that happens for the second time, because the first year we all kind of gave him a pass and said, okay, he inherited some of these problems. There's issues at Texas. They're going to get it fixed. And you take a step forward where they didn't control their own destiny, but they had a chance to play for a big 12 title until like the last week of the season. And then if you were to take a step backwards in year two under Quinn, you were like, if they miss a bowl game, I think that would be the situation where you go, uh Oh, okay. We, we gotta we gotta talk about this because at that point it's not a it's not a thing that Arch Manning can step in and fix. At that point, it's like Arch Manning might be playing in some games if if we're yeah. missing bowl games and things like that. So that's kind of my thought process around it. Again, that's a that's a pretty low bar, but that would be where I'm really concerned. So from one team who is consistently underachieving to one who finally just kind of hit their mark last season in Tennessee, uh I, th I was really impressed with what they were able to do, man. And then obviously Josh Heupel gets the extension. It comes out today. Their AD's getting an extension. How close do you think the volunteers are right now, especially I would say more so in the East kind of catching up to Georgia. Cause that's what you're going to have to get past first. I mean, it's, it's gotta be a significant gap, but they're making the right strides, right? Oh, absolutely. I think they're absolutely making the right strides and locking down Josh Heupel. Now I think it helps with just, you can no longer make the the negative pitch against Tennessee. If you were making it in the beginning of, hey, will Josh Heupel take a job at Oklahoma? Do you think the NFL wants him? Like now it's, no, Josh Heupel's going to stay. He's going to be uninterrupted in building this program. And there's a lot to be excited about. In terms of the gap against Georgia, I think it's got to be the recruiting trail. Like that's got to be where they make up their ground. They can do a lot in the portal, but I mean, Georgia doesn't really go in the portal because they don't really they have, have to. to. Like, their second stringer, their third stringer is better than whatever the option that's available on the market. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the the task now is, okay, can you stack some classes that are in that top 10, top five range? Like, that's now where you have to build, and especially in the trenches. Like, 
we all saw what happened on national television. It was, it was PG 13, what Georgia was doing at TCU. And a lot of it was trench warfare. Like we're going to run downhill. We're going to play in the box. And that's going to be how we live. Cause our big human beings are just superior to your big human beings. It we don't have like, to change anything there. So that was, that was it to me. It was like in the sec title game when, when Carter picked up Jalen Daniels, but for an oh, entire game, I still hurt my too. soul. <laughs> that was, that was one of those things that like, will definitely get a a painting or a picture or something that's gonna like somebody got a tattoo of that you know like yeah, it was just uh it was the 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 microcosm of what Georgia was doing that game in that season so I thought it was interesting when you look at that game and I think it was at halftime in the natty when there, um you have Pollock talking about how Georgia is now taking over and Nick Saban is literally sitting right beside him and I think a lot of cause really goes to the the lack of production offensively they had which now bill o'brien's out the door where do you see saban transitioning and bringing who do you see his main candidate coming in as being the oc it's a great question uh i've been trying to find out myself like like trying to get on the phone with different people that, that are close to alabama or cover alabama and they're like hey man they're, they're keeping it hush hush uh one thing that is being said though is nick saban is not overly worried which i don't know if i would really expect nick saban to be worried about much as he is Nick Saban but uh the thought around that was hey we're Alabama we have a ton of talent people are going to want to come and coach here like we're not going to have to do this big national surge and and just hit up the phone lines and try and get our guy like we're going to have a, a fair share of people to pick from uh the other thoughts around that are that they would like to have somebody that will help them become more balanced uh, get back to kind of classic Alabama. We're going to set the tone running the football and then also have somebody who can help coach quarterbacks as well. Cause Bill O'Brien mm -hmm. was the quarterback coach. So a couple of, of themes that are developing here. Um, I just kind of called my shot in our live show yesterday as, as it sounds like nobody really has a great feel. So I'm like, Hey, how about Joe Brady? Like Joe Brady yeah. currently quarterback coach with the bills. I mean, ran it up against Alabama when he was over at LSU as the passing game coordinator Will he want to recruit is, I guess, the question. But Joe Brady, to me, would, would make a ton of sense. Um, I think it was Thamel who also said this on, on Feinbaum's show, uh, second Thamel reference, I guess, for everybody keeping track at home. But he said, I think that similar to what we saw against uh, Texas A&M in like 2012 when Johnny Menzel lit it up and it was kind of this realization of, oh, Alabama's old formula of we're just going to – line up and power eye and do what we do like that that kind of style doesn't necessarily translate as much i think we may have seen the same kind of moment this past year when they lost to tennessee and tennessee and josh heupel are lining out wide and going with tempo and, and kind of taking that next step in modern college football um i think that could be the the flavor that we see this next alabama offense look like jeff levy's name comes up a lot too but i don't know if i, I believe on that. that so much but We'll see. I, I like Joe Brady. I'm going to cast my vote for Joe Brady officially. He is J.D. Piquel. He is the man at On3. You can find him on Twitter at J.D. Piquel. Man, we appreciate you jumping on today, man. Man, I appreciate y'all running this operation and, and making it hum. I mean, y'all are both phenomenal at what you do. And, uh, Jack, you you were in us with the with the, the CFE with J.D. days, man. So I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. and. Excited to do it again here soon. Yeah, really glad we could have you on. Thanks for running literally all around the world of college football with us today. 100%, man. I love it. Love it. Appreciate y'all, man. Appreciate yeah. you. All right, coming up here next on the College Chaos Podcast, we're going to get into the Pac-12 schedule. That's next. Holla at you, boy.
Welcome back into the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie here with you. And, man, that was a lot of fun having J.D. on. He oh, always man. brings the heat, man. He's the best. Really appreciate that, dude. And, man, the Pac-12 football schedule. I know we've had – on our, one of our first shows we did, we talked about the strength of the quarterbacks within the Pac-12. And it's absolutely absurd. I think hands down without any – I don't think it's debatable that top to bottom they have the best quarterbacks yeah. coming into this year. And – you said that we have one guy in the chat room that's talking about Oregon State and what they can do with DJU coming over. What are your thoughts on the, the Beavers this year? I think they've got a really interesting schedule that, personally, if I were to be making a schedule, this is how I'd like to make it. You start off, you've got all three of your non-conference games right off the bat, and you start off with, it kind of, it, it ramps up, where you've got San Jose State, and then I'm honestly not sure who the second one is, it's looks like it's FCS, before you hit San Diego State. Fringe top 25, a team that wants to be in the yeah. Pac-12. They want to be in that conference. But they're still group of five, so I don't know. But it's a nice little ramp up into that before you hit Washington State at Washington State uh, to open conference play. And then you hit the biggest game of this first stretch, Utah, at home on, I believe, a Friday night. I think looking at the schedule, I, I know San Diego State is difficult. Um, they all, they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, Washington State, I think they're going to be good. I've, I've said it in the past. I really feel like they are probably going to take a step back this season um, now that Eric Morse has taken over at North Texas. Cam Ward's still good. I just need to see what he can do inside of this new system. But I think real, realistically the Beavers could start off maybe 4-0 headed into that Utah game. I, I, they're not beating Utah. Look, I, I think Utah has, has really kind of solidified themselves as the standard in the Pac-12. you got Cam Rising coming back. you have so much talent on that roster. Uh, I, I really think that they can start off the season, though. So you're 4-1 right there. I think you can beat Cal next. I think you could be 7-2 and two heading into the bye. Uh, so I think that's a really good start if you're Oregon State. Yeah, honestly, I mean – I think it's a dream if you're six and one, seven, seven and zero oh heading into their bye, but like, I I just I love the way this sets up for them to take a step each week. DJU get much that much more comfortable in their system each week, and then see where it goes because after that Utah game, like UCLA is kind of a one off. They've got Cal right before them, and they got a bye right after them, and then the next toughest game is probably Washington their second to last game before the civil war. Like I, I really like how this sets up if they can build week after week going through uh, at the beginning of the season. So I know when the schedule come out, the first thing I noticed was week two, you're going to have Oregon headed to Lubbock. And I was like, Oh hell yeah. Put that in yeah, my veins. Like yeah. I want that all day. And that's then fun, dude, it's, it, that's exactly what you want for college football. The, the ratings should be absurd. And then I started looking a little deeper. Oh wait, Utah's coming to Baylor in yeah. week two as well? After they host Florida that in is, week one. Okay, and they lost to Florida last year, so you're going to have a little chip on your shoulder. Florida's obviously got a lot of question marks out there, so I think that's a game where Utah's going to come out and kind of, I wouldn't necessarily say thump them, but I think that they'll it'll be a close game and Utah will ultimately pull away late into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, that bo both of these games between Florida and Baylor, it, it – this is a very interesting start to the year for Utah because they should, frankly, be favored in both. They are the better program. They have higher expectations coming off of last year. But 
I don't know, man. They, they just both seem like really tough games. Well, the one concern I think you have to have is Cam Rising's health. I mean, he, he, he's already, um, Whittington, Whittingham's already come out and said that he's not going to be available until, uh, throughout the offseason. He's got a leg injury. He really didn't go into much detail on that. But he said he was going to be able to go at the first of the season. If, if I'm – I don't really want to put that out there. Yeah, like, that, dude, that's, a, that's tough to guarantee at this point. Well, not only that, recovery. but you're setting yourself up to have somebody come and aim to take the leg out. I mean, like you said, they're going to test it. God, so, I hope people don't play that dirty. I know, but it's, it's football. It happens. I, that's one thing that I just kind of was a little apprehensive about. Um, but once one team, I think, when I'm looking at this, who's really kind of got it, a, a rough start is Colorado. I, I know a lot of oh. hype is around the Buffaloes, obviously, with what Prime's uh, doing and all the talent he's bringing in. But this isn't Jackson State. This isn't private school football um, in the Metroplex. This is different. This is, you know, high-caliber ball. And you start off – you're going to TCU. I think that's a loss. Oh, easily. And then you get to host Nebraska. And this isn't Nebraska the past 10 to 15 years. This is a revamped energy. Matt Rule coming in. And Matt Rule's experience coaching, I think, is what's going to have the Cornhuskers able to really kind of handle uh, Colorado handily. That game will be the like the absolute signal to me of which of those two programs is going to turn things around faster unless Dion something happens with Dion and stuff hits the wall but but um just Matt Rule usually tends to make sure the guys that are on the field are the guys that are bought in right so I think there's a chance that Colorado actually wins that game because Matt Rule might be early on in that process of getting people to buy into the process. And he will have weeded out older guys, more experienced guys, probably at that point, guys who would play better in favor of getting the guys on the field who are bought in. I think when you look at that, it's going to be a situation of where we're going to find out the difference between coaching and coaching three to four star players versus not being able to coach and having stars, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I feel like Matt Rule's ability to coach and get the most out of less lower caliber players, per se, without any disrespect, it just is what it is, um, compared to Dion's ability to get the most out of elite athletes on this level is going to get exposed. I honestly think it's going to be the, the measure of which, which team is a better team, which, which, which group of players plays more collectively and executes their game plan better. Eh, that last part, that, that's pretty much any game. But looking deeper into Colorado's schedule now, uh, after that, Colorado State, that's probably the closest thing to a guaranteed win they have early on. And even then, like, I'm sure that'll be somewhat competitive. Right. So after that, you're going to Oregon, and then you're hosting uh, USC, and then you're hitting the road to at Arizona State with the first-year head coach, Kenny Dillingham. Like, shoot man there that's a tough opening it is i think one that really kind of caught my attention i thought this was funny i'm looking at cal yeah when you look at cal they start off with north texas while a lot of teams and a lot of people outside of the state of texas are looking at this like oh well, this is just some little school from texas it's a directional school no north texas no, is no, going no. to beat i think north texas makes a statement against cal in week one and then to, to put a bow on that Oh, wait, not even – hold on, we'll save that. After North Texas, you get to play Auburn? Yeah. Are you kidding me? 
Auburn should just race boat race them. And then to put a bow on the season, this is what I found was really hilarious. You have all this, this animosity and tension between UCLA and their and Cal's trying to block them and they want all this extra money and which is just a load of crap. Like you're not, I, I know you think you're, you're special and more important than a lot of the other schools out there. You're really not, but you get to end the season at UCLA in the probably was just going to be the last time these two programs will ever meet. And you know, you know that Chip Kelly and them are going to make Cal pay. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I don't see that in any world being a win for Cal. Like I, I would, I'd put the mortgage on that one. <laughs> like, geez, man, that I think that the PAC 12 frankly hurt itself in this scheduling. I know they, they, they need to put the rivalries in those right. last two weeks and the biggest rivalries in that last week, but man, you didn't have another option there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't understand. What, like, I, think, I think it was kind of intentional. That's got to be one of those intentional I, things. I would have put US, USC and UCLA that week and just been like, y'all are leaving, y'all can play it out. Hopefully neither of y'all can make the conference championship game, even though that's probably not going to be the case. So I think one of the bigger question, one of the biggest questions coming into this is going to be, can USC finally get over the hump and beat Utah? Like, you've, you've, had, you've got the star per se you got this the star power but your defense is just garbage if cam rising is healthy no because your defense is garbage if cam rising is not healthy i i honestly think usc gets over that hump but man if utah has a healthy quarterback and an offense that is not in bad shape at that point of the year no it's not happening you like you're gonna have to score 50 plus i think if you're usc because you're giving up way too much every time I mean, I, I, yeah, that's that's very true. Is there any game when you look at this from any team who really stands out as like uh, a dark horse or an upset type situation? Uh, my dark dark horse is the one we started with, honestly, Oregon State. I mean, I'll, I am very interested to see what DJU can do in a much more run heavy place. Uh, that way, he's not relied upon as much. Right. He doesn't have the pressure. It's more of like. What can you bring to add on? Like, what toppings are you bringing on to the yeah. Sunday? Because you've already got that really good ice cream base. Um, but yeah, otherwise, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, honestly, this is this is like a deep sleeper, not like maybe to win the conference, but just interesting to see what kind of havoc they can cause. Arizona State. Yes. It's got to be Arizona State, right? I, I, I think so. I, I like Arizona State. I'm interested to see what they can do. I think we're going to learn a lot, not necessarily just a lot about Arizona State in week two, but we're going to learn a lot about Oklahoma State too because this is a, a, a situation where the Pokes are going to have to go out to Tempe and you have so much, so many question marks. I mean, we've touched on it. And then you have an, uh, I think there's just a resurgence of energy. It's like you have one like it's all this negative cloud like Eeyore's just sitting and hanging out in the locker room over there at Oklahoma State and then you have the a rise of just like a new spark in Arizona State I mean I think everybody was there there was kind of like just tired of the the Herm Edwards outdated mindset and then all of the crap that went along with it I, I really think that Arizona State can come out make a statement and just kind of catapult themselves um, because after that they're going to take on Fresno State that's always a tricky game but I think if – and they really – so what, you're starting off with four home games too. 
So that's very beneficial for them because their first road game is going to be after the USC going into Cal. But I think we'll learn a lot about uh, Arizona State in week two. And, and also, like I said, a lot about the Pokes as well. Yeah, they could get off to a hot start with that schedule. And the only other thing I'm looking at here is um, – shoot, I just had it. Give me one second. Um, crap, help me out here, Garrett. What you looking for? Uh, just – just riff, man. Okay, so uh, on to that. No, all good. On, on to that. You but can no. always ask me for help, too, Jack. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Just guy right in front of me. You know, it's the eyes. He really captures the you. The eyes. It must be the glasses. You can <laughs> always trust the disembodied voice of your producer, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I got you. So Arizona, I, I think Arizona is one of those teams that is kind of getting lost in the shuffle. I, and When you look at their schedule, you got NAU, whose quarterback just came to Baylor. Um, so I don't know, you know, what they're going to be uh, sitting at with there. Uh, you got Mississippi State in week two. I think that's a game where the Bulldogs would just run over Arizona. They're really not much. Um, uh, other games that kind of stick out to me, I don't really know what to make of Stanford this year. I, I feel like they're a team who's kind of trying to find their identity as a whole in a university. Uh, you have a new coach coming in who's going to try to establish some things, but they're behind the eight ball as far as how they can do things with NIL. You got to have a 4.0 GPA and yada, yada. Everything goes into that. Uh, but they opened up at home against uh, Jacobs Hawaii Warriors. Uh, so that should be interesting. And then they finished this, the season against Notre Dame. I, that's they difficult. Just, they've got tough games sprinkled throughout the schedule. And I just don't, I think they're happy if they go bowling, honestly. And kind of on the flip side of that, I remembered my point. Oh, Oregon, they are going to start off well, and then they are going to be very susceptible to collapse. They After their bye week, after which is in week six, they have Washington, they have Washington State, Utah in a row, two of which are on the road. They also still have USC and Oregon State on the schedule. Like, I, if Oregon is going to... If Oregon's going to hit, hit its peak in the rankings by their bye, unless they really are a playoff contender and a conference title contender, they're going to peak in the rankings in week six. That's a good point. I'm also interested to see what Bo Nix we get this year. Like yep, I, With Kenny I, Dillingham gone. Yeah, Kenny Dillingham's gone. I, the Bo Nix at Auburn was just – I mean, he was all over the place, man. He was so inconsistent. Um, and, and, you know, he was one of those where he could – he was like Dak – like Dak Prescott, you could you could show up to these big games, you could have a hell of a, an outing, and then the next week you're going to throw like eight interceptions and cost your team the game. But then when you go out to Oregon, you kind of rejuvenated your spirit um, and, and you got things on the right track. You had a hell of a season last year. I just want to see him be able to carry it over and put two strong seasons back-to-back. -back. And I think that's what a lot of the NFL scouts want to see as well. I think that's probably, along with NIL, why you didn't see him float his name into the draft this season. Yeah. Yeah, I got to agree. But uh, I do think it's about time to, to move along to our final topic. All right, we're going to get into some hoops next. We're going to look back at Baylor's big win over Kansas and also look ahead to the SEC Big 12 Challenge that's coming up all day Saturday. This is the College Chaos Podcast. Welcome back into the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie, Jacob Wilson running the show, and you. And 
Before we get into this final segment here, I want to give a special shout out to the Armadillo Hat Company. Uh, this is a company who I've reached out to. Uh, I like their products, um, and I wanted them to get a part of the show, be involved in. Uh, they sent a, a real big care package. They sent me four hats, which Jacob got some, Emery's got some. They sent a bunch of stickers, so uh, spread the love. Go check them out on Instagram at Armadillo Hat Co. and go onto their website at armadillohatco.com to see the wide variety of um, merchandise they have, shirts, hoodies, hats, etc. But special shout out to those guys. Jack? Yeah, they've got a great lineup. And uh, you know what else has a great lineup? Them Bela Bells. Oh, I was going to say the Big 12 SEC Challenge. That does too. Right too. <laughs> so uh, I want to get into this though. But I, the night, Monday night in the Ferrell Center was an experience to say the least oh baby and some of the the pictures you've gotten are elite they are floating around the internet right now yeah and we'll throw them up on the twitter yeah, we're, we're gonna have to get them up but overall man you've been to your you went to baylor you've been to a lot of baylor basketball games where did that atmosphere compare to some of the games in the past so i was talking with uh someone in the athletic department after the game uh and he and I kind of agreed because he, he's been here longer than I, I have. Um, and we agreed, like, that was probably the best or the second best environment in the Farrell Center that either of us can remember. Second only to, uh, I believe it was 20, shoot, was it 2019, 2020? When College Game Day came for Baylor in Kansas. Oh, that, here, yeah, that was lit. And it was the 11 a.m. tip. So they rolled the pregame show right yep. into the game. Everyone was bumping then, and it was a very, very similar, very good environment uh, last night, uh, Monday night, sorry. It's been a blur since, um, but I only remember the Farrell Center getting louder, louder one time, right. and that was when Baylor came back from, like, 19 down against <laughs> Texas. But that was a peak. Right. This thing was sustained. Everyone was going crazy, and Baylor played a good sustained game, and – Frankly, now they're on a five-game win streak. They're going to climb up the rankings big time. They've got Arkansas coming into town, which is a very winnable game. And on the flip side, Kansas is going to Kentucky, and they are on the verge of possibly losing their fourth straight. I don't think – look, I don't really know what to make of Kansas right now. I know the video is surfing, surfacing out of Bill Self talking about how Baylor was so much better than them. and they He have, could, he could have said bigger. Could be one of those two. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, he, he could have, <laughs> but I think I think he said better. Uh, but Kansas is really intriguing because when you look at this matchup uh, against Kentucky, I think we're really going to find out what Grady Dick is made of. Uh, he got into foul trouble early on in the game against Baylor, which kind of it also led to LJ Cryer just going absolutely bonkers. Um, but Kevin McCuller is going to have to be tough. Uh, Oscar Sheway will eat him up. Oh, yeah. Jalen Bridges ate him up. Yeah. So now going up against Big O, like, oh, boy. I, but I feel like this is a game where Kansas can't, like, you can't drop four in a row. Like, never in my lifetime have I ever, I don't think I've ever seen Kansas drop four games in a row, ever. I'm, like, yeah. almost 40. Like, and it just, it, that doesn't happen. But Jalen Wilson is elite. I think he's, to me, he's probably the most well-rounded player in the, in the nation that I've seen this season. Yeah, he's I, up there. He's I, up there. I just feel like this is a game where you're going to see him go off, but they've got to get some more production, man. And so do you see this like kind of being a, a waking up of the sleeping giant or how do you see this game playing out? I don't think it's going to be a waking up of the sleeping giant, but I do think they get back on track. I just self knows how to do this. He's won multiple national championships. He is going to get his team right. 
and it's tough that they have this game right now. Yeah. This is a suboptimal time for them to go play Calipari in Kentucky. But I think I think he gets them right. Keep in mind, guys, this is arguably a contest of two sleeping giants. Just putting it out there. Kentucky, uh, blue blood themselves. Yeah, one's taking a little cat nap, and the other one's yeah. taking a longer power nap. But but you're right. That, that, that That's a really good point. But I, I do think Kansas goes in there. They they sort their stuff out. I mean, Wilson and Dick went for, I think it was 24 and 23, respectively, yeah. against Baylor. Uh, so their stars will step up. The rest of the team needs to step up. They need to play better defense. McCuller and Harris both need to get more offensive mm. production. But I, I think they find a way, and they help the Big 12 win this challenge again because the Big 12 will win this challenge again. So, yeah, Baylor's going to get Arkansas. And last night I was I was trying to watch some of this game. Uh, it was Arkansas and LSU. And, dude, LSU is just a terrible basketball program. Like their women's team would beat the brakes off the men almost. Like – I'm, so I'm looking at this Arkansas team, and you have you have Black out there, whose dad was Terry uh, played at Baylor. There, there's just really not much intimidating about Arkansas. They they try to get out, they try to run, but as far as like player for player athleticism, I don't see them even keeping it close with Baylor. Honestly, and correct me if you think this isn't a great comparison, but it feels like they're they're Alabama with less talent and less cohesiveness. Like yeah. they try and do the if same thing. If they put thing, it together, they could. Yeah. Good at it. No, absolutely. I, I see that. Um, another game that's going to be a. Uh, I think the most intriguing game for me is Texas Tennessee. Yes, absolutely the most intriguing game, hands down. You've got one of the top defenses in the nation, according to Ken Palm, going going against a team full of really solid athletes uh, that still just feels like they're in a state of limbo, despite like putting up a string of wins after their coach got fired for cause. Yeah. I mean, and then flip side with Tennessee, I think they've, they've done a good job of adjusting their roster, uh, getting Jordan James more involved. Um, that's done. Well, uh, you're going to get Ziegler back in the lineup as well. So it's going to be intriguing, but I watched Texas a little bit last night and when Brock Cunningham is on, they are dangerous. I think they are super long rangy athletic car is just a freak. Um, and, so I, th- I like Texas in this matchup. I know Tennessee's probably going to have more so of the advantage from the outside perspective based on their defense. But I think that Texas overall athleticism and also the, the – I know a lot of these guys – none of these guys played for him, but there's always going to be the Rick Barnes factor. Anytime these two teams step on the court, yep. I, I just feel like Texas is the better team, and I think Texas is going to get the, the dub in that matchup. It's weird that I agree with like, – I feel weird agreeing with you on this just because Tennessee does have the top – defense according to Ken Palm they are at home and I'm it just it it feels like Texas is going to win this game I can't put my finger on it it just feels like they're going to come out of the battle of the UTs being the true UT Mm -hmm. and I don't like that (laughs) one game I think could be Mississippi State is an intriguing team but when you look at TCU and the way they're playing right now dude TCU should just cruise by them i think same same with florida and kansas state yeah that's not really competitive uh down towards the bottom uh ole miss and oklahoma state that's one i do not know what to make of either team i'm gonna side with the big 12 just probably because it's safe but like i like oklahoma state i I know they're they're not he's he's an excellent coach and i think that they're still trying to come back from last season and not being able to 
to make the postseason and all the drama that they dealt with. Um, I, I think when you look at this Iowa State-Missouri game, Missouri shot lights out last night in their win. I think they hit like 16 threes or something. It was absurd. They're going to have to do the same thing to beat Iowa but State. But they're not going to beat Iowa State. No. I mean, and I didn't – look, this is – I'm going to say this right now, and I've said this before. Iowa State and Kansas State was on ESPNU last night. If I have ESPN Plus, I should be able preach, to watch preach, the damn game that is on ESPNU. I shouldn't have to just keep track on Twitter. That That is ridiculous. The Big 12 needs to fix that crap as part of their package and everything because that was an excellent game. Iowa State pulls it off in the end, and you were talking about it. I think yesterday me and you were talking off air about the, the Big 12 and how they see it shaping up, and Kansas State, they, they were looking at on finishing with six losses? Seven, according Seven. to Ken. Ken Palm believes that there will be a – four-way tie at the end of the Big 12 season for number one, all of them at 11-7. and seven. This conference is probably going to not destroy itself because everyone knows it's the mm -hmm. best and full of the best, but there is, there's going to be a lot of losses handed out, and this is just one instance of, like, Kansas State's now brought back to the pack. They're tied with Iowa State. Baylor and Kansas, they're both one game Baylor's back. peaking right now, though. Baylor's peaking right now. So they, they better hope they get some of these top teams soon. So the, the one game we haven't really touched on. Two games we haven't really touched on. Probably two big SEC wins. Uh, can, I think you're getting at Oklahoma yeah. and Alabama. Can, can Oklahoma push Bama? No. Not even close? No. I, I just don't think they've got the athletes to be able to stop Alabama from running. Like, it, it's really tough to say. Usually the slower-paced team mm -hmm. can slow you down. But, I mean, look at who they started center. Tanner Groves, he's good. He's, he's really not, solid. He's, but he's he can't handle the athletes, Bama hat. He's man, I think Oklahoma's gonna get run out of the gym. As much as I respect Porter Mo Porter Moser as a coach, mm. and as much as I know Oklahoma is a dang good team that is gritty as heck, I just I don't see them being able to hang in this game. And frankly, same with West Virginia against Auburn. I just I see those as two easy chalk it up sec wins those games i do too i think texas tech at lsu i think that's going to be a perfect situation for tech the team who's really kind of been struggling throughout the big 12 play and i think this is going to be one where they can re-exert their energy and kind of bounce back and head into the last part of the big 12 on kind of a high note but yep. they, uh, yeah. they need a get right game and i think this is it it's got to be speaking of which that is the texas tech lsu game that is the game that is on espnu so if you are a red raider or a tiger fan get your affairs in order because yes. it's not easy to catch the action on espnu it's these not. days and look i respect that they actually put that game over there like if, they, if you would have put like i don't know bama and oklahoma then we would have had a major problem but i still don't understand when you have games like that Iowa State, Kansas State does not belong on That's ESPNU. That's a tragedy that that was on the ESPNU. If that, like, how the hell does that not get front and center ESPN, your 8 p.m. tip or whatever? Like, that's a travesty. and idiocy? At the, all right, here's another thing. And I know this is different, but at the same, this is how bad it was. So at the same time, I'm, I'm channel surfing, and Jacob hits me up about a hockey game, so I'm all in on that. So I come back over to the basketball side of it, and I'm like, okay, well, what's on FS1? Freaking DePaul plays. I don't give a damn about DePaul. <laughs> like, give me, give me a good game here. If I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, the Big East days, they, they were fun. They were fun. A long time ago, <laughs> yeah, like when I'm I was a kid. If I'm tuning into the Big East, I want someone better than DePaul. I'm man. sorry. 
At least give me like Seton Hall Xavier or something. Do something. Yeah, I'll take Xavier all day. I, I like Sean Miller. He's a hell of a coach. Right, anyway, yeah. man. So, so you like the the Big Twelve to to write the ship and to take some, care of the SEC Big Twelve and challenge. Two, six and four. I like that. I like that. I I definitely say that. Just, I know just that's a pretty for, large window. I mean, yeah, but pound for pound, I think the Big Twelve this year is just significantly better. And and hats off to Alabama. I think they're gonna they're damn good fo- uh, basketball team they're a damn good <laughs> football team as well traditional basketball in a traditional football school but anyway but yeah that's going to do it for today uh we appreciate you listening we appreciate jd pakel for coming on so so be much. sure to to go and follow him on twitter and follow his work over at on three um as yeah, far got as a youtube channel yeah. they've got their website they do great stuff yeah you guys got to go over there check it out give jd some love yeah and as far as uh, as far as our channels go you have Grayson and Craig every Tuesday. They go live at noon doing the Bearcast. Prior to that, Grayson records um, his segments that he puts out on the college um, Crystal Ball College football channel, which is where this goes as well. You have Jacob uh, and Tanner. They do Shooting the Shield every Tuesday night, talking all uh, NFL football. They have one arguably my favorite segment of any show when you recast to different things. Oh, yeah. That any, is, any idea what you guys are yeah, recasting, this recasting this week? This week? Uh, my co-host was sick yesterday, and so we are going to uh, piece together a show uh, tomorrow, and uh, we plan to have Kyle Yeomans on as our guest. Kyle's so, great. I love Kyle. Okay. Yeah, you'll you'll learn the recast segment later on in the show. Um, <laughs> talk a little bit about the t- conference championship games, and uh, yeah, as the NFL season winds down, continue to uh, you know tune into Shoot and Shield. Absolutely, and then as always, check into uh, 365 Sports in the afternoon, three to six. Smokey Paul and Craig absolutely kill it. Uh, but that's going to do it for today. We appreciate you listening. This has been the Crystal Ball. Or this, well, yeah, this has been the College Chaos Podcast on Crystal Ball. On College Crystal Ball, Football. College Football. <laughs>